In this episode, we see the consequences of isolation. And we find out that if you eat enough, you can try to get out of the death penalty. This is Pulpit Perpetrators. Welcome back to Pulpit Perpetrators, where the pastors are real and what they do is even realer. I'm your host, John. Thank you so much for tuning in again today. And today, uh, you're in for a treat. We are joined by uh, someone from Memphis. I still can't say it right, so I'll let you do it. But this is, uh, is my amazing co-host this week, Miss Chantel Stokes out of, out of Memphis, Tennessee. Miss Chantel, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Bishop. Well, good, good. Um, so, you know, before we get started, uh, we appreciate everyone who, who's out there listening. Um, if you're listening for the first time, please like and follow us on your platform of choice. Uh, if it's that, if it's that Apple podcast, that little purple icon on your iPhone, if that's the one you're using, please leave us a comment. I don't know why, but somehow it helps us with ratings. Uh, you can tell us what we're doing good, what we're doing bad. You can leave your mom's lasagna recipe and, uh, you know, you can say whatever it is you want. But uh, we would love to hear your comments, um, constructive or not, you know, please leave a comment. <laughs> so we're, I think we're one of the few shows out there that will give you a warning about the show before we, uh, before we get started. So this show is built for the purpose of calling out perpetrators in the pulpits of Christian churches. So a couple of things I've been asked, you know, why don't you do other religions? Why don't you do other? Well, I'm a Christian and that's the, that's the church. That's the church I live in. That's the church I operate in, and that's the one that, you know, if you're, if you're doing stupid stuff, I'm going to call you out. So this show is about calling out perpetrators. Now, if you're one of those people that doesn't really feel like the church should be airing his dirty laundry out all over the place, you might want to hit pause now. We'll call, it a good, we'll call it like a bad marriage. We'll agree to see other people, and you don't ever have to listen again. <laughs> but um, but uh, if if you're interested in, in, in how these people get into these places and kind of what leads a person down the road of being a pulpit perpetrator or how you can actually keep one out of your pulpit, uh, you can sit back, relax, and enjoy the hour and three minute ride into uh, chaos. So, uh, Mission Chantel, are you ready to go? I'm ready. I'm very excited right. to learn who we're going to be discussing. All right. Well, I, this is a long trip for me because if I, I'm in Seattle. Uh, but for you, it's not too far. We're going to go to the great state of Ohio. Oh. Yeah, that's where we're headed. And we're going to talk about a guy named Jeffrey Lundgren. Have you ever heard of him? I have not heard of this illustrious person, but I'm very excited to learn about him. Those are very kind words for this man. I think your, your, <laughs> your attitude will probably change about five sentences into this. But that's okay. We'll go, we'll go with illustrious right now. Uh, so... Uh, Jeffrey Lundgren is born uh, May 3rd, 1950 in Independence, Missouri. Uh, he grew up as a member of what's called the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the RLDS Church. Now, you, oh, that, okay. yeah, that, that may sound familiar to you because there's another uh, more common movement, the Latter-day Saint movement, which is the original. This is an offshoot of that. Um, they're also, it's also better known as, as Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, according to Lundgren, uh, and this is also supported looking in some of the some of the articles I found on him, 
this is definitely supported by neighbors and friends. Uh, he was severely abused as a child, mm -hmm. uh, particularly by his father, and was by most accounts a loner uh, when he was in middle and high school. So a history of violent abuse is not a reason to deny someone from the ability to pastor, like on its mm -hmm. own. Um, and I know people have made amazing pastors that have suffered abuse and trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the red flag here is usually in how they deal with the trauma or fail to deal with the trauma. Right. Absolutely. Well, like you said, it could go either way. Either you can take that experience and learn from it, heal from it, and become a better person by addressing the issue. Or you become that person who stuffs it and use it to fuel your own agenda of violence, manipulation, and pain. You know, all um, victims do not become um, perpetrators. It, it just depends mm -hmm. on, of course, you know, how they're grown and whether or not they really want to escape that type of life. You know, people do use abuse as a way to abuse others, and that's often their crutch. You know, it was done to me. And so I'm going to do it to someone else in order to make myself feel better. You know, it, it's a sad case, but it does happen, especially when we're talking about religious people, you know, people mm -hmm. using that, as I stated earlier, to control and to manipulate because, you know, the Bible said, this is what God said. And God told me only, and he's not going to tell you. So don't go over right. and ask him because he specifically only told me. Mm. So abuse is something that does damage a child. You know, early on, you have to be careful of how you talk to a child, you know, mm -hmm. how you look at a child and how you treat a child because the brain is still developing. So if you are abusing me physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, sexually, you know, that's going to be a part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. That is all that I know. And so if that's my environment, and I don't know anything other than that. Even when I'm outside of my environment, I'm going to think that way and present myself that way. So child abuse has very damaging long-term effects. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. So I, I have a theory that I've never really put to outside of experiential use. So just the, the people that I've run into. So I have a theory that most children tend to view God first through the lens of their, their parents. Right. How, how they view their parents will be how they view God unless there's uh, an, an effect later, if there's some sort of, of treatment, especially on the side of when a person is being abused. Right. Unless they see a positive effect later, uh, that's how they're going to view God. Um, so if a father is abusive, they will see God as abusive and they will either shy away from faith because God's abusive or they'll believe that the abuse is appropriate. And that it's an mm -hmm. appropriate way to treat members of the church. And so mm -hmm. what we run into is a guy like this. Like I said, not every person that grows up in abuse becomes this person, right? But without right. an outside positive effective change, this can happen. Um, and, mm -hmm. and what I've seen in, in counseling sessions and deal, just dealing with church people is, you know, the way they view God. If you, if you ever sit down with them and say, well, how'd you grow up? You'll find, you know, if, you know, it, if their father was a tyrant, they may say the words, well, you know, God's just a tyrant. Mm. But I, I've seen that a lot in the people that I've dealt with that do church. Yeah. I hear that a lot as well with uh, particularly younger people saying mm -hmm. that, you know, um, 
of course, you don't have to go to church to know God and, you mm-hmm. know, um, or even, you know, someone close to me, uh, which is my baby sister, she said that, you know, honestly, of course, I'm honest, that our mother ruined church for her, mm-hmm. you know, and it was long after I was gone because there's such an age gap with us, but she would say that she just destroyed the the understanding of what church should be because of her mm-hmm. unhealthy and inappropriate behavior. So um, it's, it's very visible in my own sister's behavior and thinking that, you know, her understanding and perception was, you know, damaged based mm-hmm. on the parental figure. So that is true. Right now. So it also said he was a loner in middle and high school. So once again, being a loner in high school, you know, sitting by yourself at lunch doesn't make you a violent or mean person. Mm-hmm. The, fo- the focus should be on why. So a question uh, I've asked pastors that I was considering either working with or hiring or in, even in some of the work we've done with EC Global, um, what I've asked them is, you know, what do you do in your spare time? Or what do you and your friends like to do? You know, those kinds <laughs> of just kind of bland questions. And if the person doesn't really have friends or have a social life, uh, this can be, it can be a couple things. It can be a bad work-life balance and it needs to be discussed. Um, but I would say the mere chance that someone like this could get behind the pulpit. So if you know they've been abused, you know they're a loner, hopefully you're doing some sort of vetting, right? Because these are red flags that a lot of people have, but yeah. it doesn't make them bad. But if you don't investigate these red flags or why it is that way, um, you can put someone in in the pulpit that is violent. Yes. And that's why I thoroughly enjoy this organization that we are in because it's, it's very upfront and um, very blatant. You know, we need to know who you are and what you are before we can say that you're okay to do X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. I think that's been the problem for, um, well, to me, from my own personal observation when it comes to the black church. You know, I can only speak from that perspective that, you know, this person uh, is a a pastor, a preacher, a bishop or whatever. And that's it. There are no questions asked. Mm. We don't know anything about that person. And I did hear on one of the podcasts where you and Bishop Williams, we say, you know, um, he said, don't um, touch my anointings or something, mm-hmm. which is what people always say, you know, don't question me. Don't ask mm-hmm. me anything about my life because you can't know that because knowing me, you know, means that you're too close. So, right. of course, from the therapy standpoint, you do have boundaries. You mm-hmm. know, you don't just give everything out on the first day. You do allow a person to get to know you, but you mm-hmm. shouldn't be hiding anything from the church your parishioners you know your followers your servants because what are you trying to hide would be the question but people don't question that you know what are you trying to hide you know once you say don't question me it's like okay that's it that's the end of conversation so that's a red flag you know Mm. not your social security number (laughs) not anything not your credit score Mm. you know i don't need to know that but you know where are you from what school did you go to what neighborhood are you from you know Mm -hmm. just the kind of the essentials of you know give me some type of understanding of who you are versus putting someone in the pulpit who is a predator because you were afraid to ask them man or woman of God 
anything about themselves. When you have something to hide, it's for a reason. Right. And I, I think a, a lot of times, and, and this is why the vetting of pastors and interviewing them before you hire them, you know, this is why this is why this is so important. And the questions you ask are so important because it's not, it's not what they're hiding. That's the problem. It's why they're hiding it. So if I, if I found out after we hired a pastor, it comes out that, that he was sexually abused in, in when he was young, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm going to fire him. Right. The, the question isn't, you know, what, why didn't you give us that information? I think a better question is, why didn't you tell us? What about mm-hmm. it did you feel like you couldn't tell us? A lot of times it may just be, you know, I'm embarrassed. It's embarrassing. Right. But it could also be that in, with that person, it's perpetuated a cycle where they're doing it too. Uh, mm-hmm. And typically what I've found is people, when they get, they'll get aggressive. You know, and this is what, so what will typically happen in churches that I've been involved in, when a pastor does something wrong, um, I don't know. I don't know if this is just white people or not, but definitely our white pastors have this habit of they know they're doing something wrong. They'll get aggressive. They'll yeah. try to fight you off with aggression. Like, you know, you can't, you know, don't touch my anointing. You don't, you know, how, how dare you question my authority? You know, that kind of yes. attitude. And uh, first of all, if, if, if I'm asking you a question as a parishioner and your answer to me is because I said so, I'm not going to yeah. be your parishioner for long. So, yeah, so I'm definitely not going to be your parishioner for long if that's what, if that's what you're doing. Um, so, so Lundgren enrolls in Central Missouri State University, spends time, uh, he spends time in a house that is specifically built for RLDS youth. Uh, while at the house, he becomes friends with Alice Keeler and a guy named Keith Johnson. Uh, Keeler, uh, who had also been abused by her father, quickly bonded with Lundgren. And the two of them become lovers, right? So, mm. so there's insulation here and there's isolation. Right. So that's one of the things that I consider a red flag when I look at background of someone. You know, when a person says, uh, well, where did you live? Well, I grew up in this house and we were only allowed RLDS mm. literature or any literature. I'm not picking on RLDS, but right. we're, we're only allowed one type of literature. We're only allowed to believe one type of thing. Anything outside of that is not acceptable. When that occurs, what typically happens is, you know, even though that person is attending public university, um, they are staying within strict confines, mm. right? And and these are some, and for RLDS, there are some pretty strict confines. So let's talk about the RLDS here for a second. So actually they're known now, they're called the Community of Christ. Okay, mm. so they were known from 1872 to 2001 as the RLDS. Uh, it's American-based international church, and it's the second largest denomination inside the Latter-day Saint movement, largest being out of Utah, out of Salt Lake City. Uh, the community was founded as a restorationist church, although today their attitudes are lar- largely congruent with mainline Protestant Christianity. Now, re- if you've heard episodes before, and if you, ha- if you haven't, remember, uh, restorationist movements have the belief that Christianity has or should be restored uh, along the lines of what is known about the early apostolic church. So the first mm-hmm. century church. Uh, Restoration is see that as a search for a pure and more ancient form of the religion. This vision seeks to correct faults or deficiencies in the church by appealing to the primitive church as the normative model. And I've seen, I've seen churches even take on the name for like primitive Baptist. Mm. Um, that's what they mean. So it's a really noble goal, but it also in the hands of the wrong people it's a good excuse to isolate the wrong person, right? The wrong person. So what, <laughs> what we have here is we have a guy 
who has a history of abuse, mm -hmm. uh, has an, a history of isolation, right? And his theological background is in a restorationist movement. Now these flags are starting to come together. And how do you find out if a person's part of a restorationist movement? You know, I've always said, if you know, a, if you know a pastor's theology, you never have to hear a sermon to know what he believes. If you know who he's reading, mm. what he, you know, what theology he takes is his own. I don't have to hear a sermon from you to know where you stand on a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, what we have here is a person who's isolation, abuse, and now is a, a restorer or primitive, right? Believes in, in, prim in the primitive movement. A lot of times in the primitive movement where it goes wrong is the person, like you said, will be, I'm the only one that has the answer here. I'm the only one that really knows, right? So when a pastor says he's restorationist, you need to be ready to explore what that actually means to that pastor. It may just mean, it may just mean, hey, I don't agree with, you know, I've, I've met some restorationist pastors who are like, you know, I don't, I don't agree with having the cross in the church. I think everybody, that, that makes it an idol. And we're mm -hmm. not going to do that. We're not going to have a cross. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's the limit of your restorationist, I mean, I don't agree with you, but it, I mean, that's not going to get anyone killed. Right. right. So, okay. Um, but if your idea of restorationist movement is, I'm the only one that has the answers because God is only speaking to me about going back. That's very dangerous. It's very narcissistic. And it leads to things like Jonestown. Ooh, yes. And Waco. And Waco. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, we, we got to be careful with that. So while it generally rejects the term Mormon to describe its members, uh, the church does abide by a number of theological distinctions unique to Mormonism. Uh, some of these are prophetic revelation, right? So a lot of their the decisions that get made are through prophetic revelation of their leaders, mm -hmm. right? A priesthood polity, right? They have pre everyone's a priest, priesthood of all believers. Uh, the use of the Book of Mormon in some context and a belief and interpretation of the word of wisdom. Right. So in many respects, the church differs from the larger church, uh, the LDS church and most Latter-day Saint denominations and its religious liberalism. Right. Belief in traditional conception of the Trinity. Right? so a lot of people don't know about the LDS is the LDS sees three gods, whereas in mainstream Protestant Christianity, we see a Godhead. Right. Made up of three persons, which is a very distinct difference. This is why it's important, people, if you're like if you're going to go to a new church. <laughs> in a new place to have a meeting with the pastor to sit down and talk with this person that you're going to entrust your spiritual growth to. So, because then you may find out we don't, they don't really believe in the Trinity. Well, if you believe in the Trinity as a three in one Godhead and they see it as one God in three different modes, you're, there's going to be problems. Now that, that doesn't mean it's going to lead to you in a cult or, you know, people drinking Kool-Aid or doing something crazy. But what that will lead to is a bunch of pain that you didn't need to find out that your theology is not the same. Right. So. And people don't do that. People are just going off, you know, the feeling, the spiritual mm -hmm. high. And right. as with any high, we know that you come down. And then when you come down, then what are you supposed to do? And I don't think most um, leaders understand that you have to provide people with something that mm -hmm. they can use outside of Sunday when you're mm -hmm. up there bleeding, you know, what about Monday through Saturday? You know, they right. don't know what to do because only you know what to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so very right. concerning teachings. Right. And so, you know, I mean, 
Ms. Chantel, you know me well. I'm not a Mormon. I don't ascribe to the LDS theology. Uh, so clearly I don't ascribe to the Book of Mormon. But overall, from what I've heard about the RLDS, I'm, I'm not hearing anything out of place, so to speak. I'm not mm-hmm. hearing, you know, what's what's occurring isn't screaming cult to me right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. But but we see we see this all the time, right? So you have a really you have really good people in non-cultic teachings like Mormonism or most Protestant mainstream Christianity or even Roman Catholicism, right? They start in these non-cultic teachings, but once they're isolated, mm-hmm. they begin to change. And once That's they the isolate other people, mm-hmm. now it's a massive red flag because they're not even taking on teachings from their denomination. They're in essence making it up. And that and that's very cultish. It's very mm-hmm. dangerous. It is. It yeah. is very much so where, you know, um, this is just the way it is. You know, and it's always gonna be concerning from the outside looking in and when you hear about Jonestown and Waco and these other places, you know, even the Tony Alamo situation that you all spoke about, mm-hmm. you know, how did they get into that situation without knowing that this is wrong it seems wrong it's got to be wrong but you continue on just under the influence of someone else and you have to understand the dynamics of an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. which that's all it is you know nobody loves you nobody's going to take care of you it's only me only me only me and once you believe that it's kind of like okay so you can't be on the outside looking in asking someone how can you not know God for yourself when right. you're already lost, which people like that pray mm-hmm. on people like them so they can control them. Yeah. And we, and we see in, in my studies of this, we've seen this a lot and it's really, and I've been guilty of this. I'll be the first one to admit it's really easy after Waco burns to the ground to go, how <laughs> could you allow your children to be with this person? How could you allow this guy's crazy. I mean, look at the teachings he's saying. This is crazy talk, right? (laughs) But in reality, it's really easy at the end to say that. This this conditioning, and that's really what it is. And when you talk about abusive relationships, there's a ton of conditioning that goes on. Mm -hmm. You know, Waco, the Branch Davidians had been around for years. This wasn't like they all came into this room and like five months later, all of a sudden they're this cult that believes that David Koresh is the Messiah. That's not what happened. And he didn't leave with that. Right. Mm-hmm. He didn't lead with he was the Messiah. We'll talk about that in a second, because that's also very common in cults. Right. Mm-hmm. So but we'll get we'll get back to a little Jeffy Pooh here. So so Jeff <laughs> marries his wife in 1970, the, the lady we just talked about. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, me and Bishop Williams got to own this one. He enlists in the United States Navy uh, on December 2nd, 1970. Uh, first couple's first child, a boy is born in 74. Uh, his wife is pregnant for the second time. Lundgren receives an honorable discharge uh, just days before his four-year uh, completion, mm-hmm. uh, and his second son is born soon afterwards. So Lundgren and his family start in San Diego. I don't know who starts in San Diego. It's expensive. I, I don't know how expensive it was in 79, but man, it's expensive now. Oof, it's no good. Well, it was all love and peace back then, so it wasn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All the love and peace, right? So... Yeah, so they, they moved to San Diego, California after discharge, but economic problems, shocker, uh, mm-hmm. begin to set in and Lundgren's moved back to Missouri, right? So in 79, mm-hmm. they give birth to a third child, a daughter, people close to the couple. Now, this is where it kind of starts to, and this is where 
as a pastoral search committee or you know you need to ask around you need to ask around their old neighborhoods you need to ask people that were in their former churches or you know so in in 79 um people close to the couple started to claim that Lundgren seemed frustrated by the family's money problems so now we so let's 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 look at the laundry list right so we have abusive past in both male and female right so both of these both the parents mm-hmm. have abusive histories right not a good combination right so that's our that's already not good mm-hmm. so we have that we have the isolation in middle school and high school uh, and if he was like that, I can tell you people that come into the Navy with that attitude, um, they don't do well. Then, you know, Navy's a team sport. Um, so he probably struggled in the Navy. Uh, I have no proof of that, but but okay. experience dealing with young sailors who are homeschooled. So he he's, so we have this financial issue. We have isolation and we have abuse. Um, this is a problem, right? And the, so these are the kind of things that if you start to piece these pieces together, you okay. get a clear picture of someone's past maybe this isn't the guy to lead your church. Right. And I'm not, I'm not saying everybody with money problems or I have five kids, right. I'm not saying everybody with kid, you know, a bunch of kids is going to be a problem. But when you start to compound these things, you really have to look at that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's this, there was rumors that he'd become generally tired of his wife. Right. Which I don't know about in the eighties, but in 2020, that means abuse. I mean, usually when people get tired of people, um, he allegedly becomes abusive after the birth of his daughter, uh, mm. according. So he's he's never accused, right? But we'll, and here's another thing, people: let the record speak for itself, right? He's never. I was never accused. Well, according to hospital records, his wife was hospitalized for a ruptured spleen. Wow! Now, I'm gonna tell you right now: you don't get a ruptured spleen falling up the stairs. No, you don't. Working right. at the trauma <laughs> hospital, no, that's not right. how you get a ruptured spleen. Right. You know who gets ruptured spleens? Boxers. Whew. That's how you get a ruptured spleen. So uh, wow. it says it may have been caused by Lundgren pushing her into a closet door handle. Okay. I don't know about you, and you, you deal with this a lot more than me at this level. Um, I know what that is. I, mm-hmm. you can't, and you can't convince me otherwise, especially given the history here. Right. You know, and if you're wow. on a pastoral search committee, or if you're going to a church and they say, hey, did you know, like 20 years ago, this man like pushed his wife into a door handle and she got a ruptured spleen. You should probably leave. That's probably That's not. very serious. Very this is serious. extremely serious. Wow. Ruptured spleens don't happen like that. No, freak accidents do happen. As a mother of teenagers, like, mm. oh, my God, nobody's mm-hmm. going to believe this. And when you go to the emergency room as a clinician and mm-hmm. they bring in a, another clinician to talk to you it's kind of like have at it <laughs> you yeah. know because i know that this was like this really weird accident versus mm-hmm. you have a person who is serving others who right. is mistreating her children so mm-hmm. wow that is a huge concern right. and people can't be dismissive of that it was one time okay but what caused it to happen that one right. time that you got so violent so agitated, so tired of your spouse that you ruptured a spleen. Mm-hmm. That is not a push into the door. That was right. a. Now, yeah, and the, re- the reason I call <laughs> the reason I call, and I'll just say it. The reason I call BS on that is, wow. I had a B, I had a BC life, Miss Chantel. I, I used to fight a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I've been punched hard. Right, <laughs> I've been hit hard. No one's ever ruptured my spleen, mm-hmm. and I've been hit hard. Mm-hmm. So. 
Ooh. run by me again how a door handle I mean, I played football. I've never had a ruptured spleen. I've, I've done violent things with my body. May have been caused by a door handle, and that's not how that works. Now, no, door handles do hurt, but they, no, they do. Not I agree. And, you know, I, I have this interesting story, and, and I always tell this story because I think it's important to see the difference between how a person reacts when they know they're abusing and how a person reacts when an accident happens. So, right. my mm-hmm. ex, me and my ex wife are in this huge fight, right? And I have a permission to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in this huge fight. I mean, we're, I mean, this is definitely BC life. We're cussing, we're throwing things. I mean, I'm, I never put my hands on my wife. She, you know, she never put her hands on me, but we were absolutely being abusive with each other. We were yelling at each other, getting crazy. We get done with the argument. The argument's over, Miss Chantel. Like the argument's done. And <laughs> she says, will you give me a hug? And I was like, of course I'll give you a hug. And I go to give her a hug. And she hits her eye on my collarbone and she gets a black eye. Totally can happen. This happened, right? And so, of course, the first time she goes to to an FRG meeting or anything, what happened to your face? And she tells a story which sounds crazy, right? I mean, mean, to be honest, it sounds like, you know, I ran into the door handle falling upstairs. But, and you know what? The person that saw it, I think they did the right thing. They Mm. told somebody. Right. And so I got pulled out of a meeting. I was on, a, I was on the ship, on a ship at the time, I pulled out of a meeting and I got asked what happened. Right. And I had no problem going through the, going through the steps. Right. right? Cause, I, Cause I know I didn't do I didn't do anything wrong. Right. right. I never tried, mm-hmm. I never tried to go sit with my wife and make sure she was saying the right things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the difference between a freak accident and abuse. Right. Right. Um, so but so anyway, she hits her, ruptures her spleen on a door handle. Uh, and sadly that she doesn't leave, right? In 1980, the couple has their fourth child. And and I see this on your feed all the time about makeup y'all need baby. to break up and a makeup baby. <laughs> y'all need to break up. Yes. <laughs> After my spleen is ruptured, I'm sorry, sir. We broke up in the in ambulance ride when the doctor mm. came in. Why was under anesthesia? We broke up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. And so, and so I will say this, any sign of abuse is reason to deny a person the pulpit. Any sign. Maybe, coulda, shoulda, possibly, at least initially, you got to deny that person the pulpit and you need to investigate that. It just uh, don't happen it, that way. No, it doesn't. It just don't happen that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's more important in my opinion to meet with the entire family and watch them interact. That's why that's so important. You know, and, and I'm sure you've seen this, but, uh, you know, abused spouses may be good at hiding things, mm-hmm. right? But children are not, especially yeah. the young. They have telltale signs. You know, things I look for is the child's reaction when the adult makes a sudden movement or stands up. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch for the child not being allowed out of the sight of the parent ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, looking for signs of physical, physical abuse. I mean, you know, if they have a black eye, clearly. Uh, but typically, abusers are really good at hiding the abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the child is too young. You know, the, their frontal cortex isn't developed enough to be conditioned. Right. So they're just reacting. They can't stick to the story. Right. <laughs> That's the problem with lying, right? Like, especially if you're young, you got to make more lies. And children mm-hmm. are good at that. So trust me, my kids yes. try it all the time. So, Very problematic in a church. Very problematic. You just want to get this person in. They mm-hmm. can fill up the pews or 
you know, they have a huge, uh, at this point, social media following, but, you know, is this person healthy and appropriate? And having the opportunity to be on the inside of some ministries, like, man, I don't know how everybody else <laughs> is not seeing what I'm seeing just as a consultant, as a visitor. How right. are they not feeling that maybe our leader needs an evaluation? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm getting that just like visiting. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you want me to come in and do X, Y, and Z, but I want you to get on the couch. Yeah. And I don't understand how they don't see that. And, and that's what pushes my button. It's like you're letting a person get away with this just mm-hmm. because they have convinced you in their own sickness that they're almighty and they're powerful and this is right. just what you have to do knowing full well that yo this is not normal to me but they go right. on sunday after sunday after yep. sunday after sunday oh yeah and and here's the worst part of it when you if you've seen these red flags and you have proof of this now i I granted, uh, the, because one of the one of the great traits of a of a perpetrator is the ability to hide this stuff. So mm-hmm. I get it if they were able to hide all this from you and then you find out and get rid of them. I understand that, right? But if you knew, and what and whenever it is that you as a church figured out they were still doing it in your church, and you allow them to remain your church, mm-hmm. whoever knows, you are an enabler of whatever mm-hmm. abuse this person does to anybody. And if you knew and did nothing, you, some people will say you're just as bad as the abuser. I think it's worse. I think you're worse than the abuser Mm. because the abuser is going to do what the abuser does for Mm -hmm. the sake of the church or your Twitter feed or for whatever it is, Mm. you have decided to keep this person on staff because you don't, you don't want to deal with the fallout. That that's the word. That's the words we use in the white church. We just don't want to deal with the fallout. Well, what, what are we dealing with now? Now look how bad right. we look. That not only was it, it happening, we didn't care it was happening. Right. That's that's what it, that's the um, understanding that people on the inside and the outside looking and get. You just did not care because you want to save face, and that is so problematic. You mm-hmm. know, you want to save face while people are suffering and being abused and being damaged, all because yeah. you know it's got to look good. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and uh, you know, so in eighty so so eighty seven, Lundgren gets dismissed as a lay minister in the RLDS church. So in eighty seven, he's out. The RD, mm. he, he's too much for the for even the RLDS, right? So this is something that has occurred in about half the cases that we've done on this show. The person in question is removed from their denomination or removed from their church. So in wow. these cases, it has almost always been about suspected abuse. But the church, mm-hmm. instead of telling the authorities, chooses to instead distance, distance themselves from the problem, get distance between them and the problem, instead mm-hmm. of notifying authorities, which is completely unacceptable in my opinion. You're mm-hmm. hiding your connection for the sake of the church, and you, <laughs> what you're saying is, I don't care about the abuse. You may right. not think you're saying that, but that is what you're saying. I do not care about the abuse. And if you're in a church that sweeps things like this under the rug, you are an enabler of abuse. You are an abuser. That's what you are. Yeah. So not saying anything does not help the situation. It just right. doesn't. 
it just or you know it's not happening to me it's not my business you know that that those are just problems manifesting into Mm -hmm. a mountain i don't i can't do anything about it yes you can or my favorite um you're you're lying because you don't like the pastor there's a demon in you there you're coming against the church you're a witch. Well, yeah. Well, you know what? When someone puts their hands down my pants and they ain't supposed to, yeah, I have a problem with that. So if I'm a demon coming against that, well, I, I guess that's what I am. That is so sick, the things that I've heard mm-hmm. that, you know, hey, I got abused. Well, you, did you get abused? Like, completely ridiculous. We're not even going to attempt to believe. Children don't lie like that. That's not something. Ch- children lie about eating cookies. Yes, they do. Children lie about brushing their teeth. That's a problem in this house. Right. Mine too. Mm-hmm. Children don't lie about he touched me. Right. That's not something they lie about. So anyway, Lundgren is living in a church-owned home. In Christ. So they, they remove him as a lay leader, but guess what? Still there. Yes, rehired somewhere else. Yep, probably. Or when they can't get rehired somewhere else, they just go start their own thing out of their living room. Um, yes. Kind of like this. So Lundgren was living in a church-owned home in Kirtland, Ohio. He volunteered as a tourist. So the RDSO... Salt Lake City has this huge Mormon tabernacle. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. seen pictures of it or been there. Um, in Kirtland, Ohio, the RLDS has their temple now. It's much smaller. You know, it's like the, you know, it's the it's the Walmart to the to the Target, or the Costco to the Target version of the Mormon temple. But they have one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he volunteers as a tour guide there. Uh, so in his capacity as a tour guide there, he begins to teach the concept. This is a very interesting concept. So to people that visit, he begins to teach the concept called dividing the word. So that's known Mm -hmm. as a chiastic interpretation or or chiasmus. You know, as a Latin guy, I should probably know what that is, but we're going to go with chiasmus. We're going to go with that. So uses this format to interpret scripture. Uh, Mm. He falsely claims to have Mm. this interpretation. Right. This Not is surprised to hear that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's got to be him, right? Because if it's someone else, then you got to go. You got to go follow someone else. Mm. So, but we'll we'll talk about chiasm in a second, and it's not. It has nothing to do with biblical interpretation. So, the foundation was that in everything created by God, the right side is a mirror image, and therefore the scripture had to be interpreted using the same method. So, Lundgren cited the Kirtland Temple as an example because the right side was a mirror image of the left side. I don't know if you understand how buildings get built, but they kind of have to look like that or they fall down. But apparently it's some sort of, you know, some sort of mystical interpretation of the scripture. Um, Mm. But, okay, so he cites the Kirtland Temple as an example. To apply this concept to scripture, right, he'll take a sentence from scripture. If the sentence before and after conflict, the center sentence is a lie. Are you confused by this yet? It's okay to be because it's crazy, but we'll, we'll keep going. Um, I'm confused. Like when, I, when I read this for the first time, I had to reread it like four times. I'm like, Dude, am I missing something? No, this is just crazy. So uh, so these, te- these teachings of scriptural interpretations by Lundgren attracting followers. Mm. How I don't know. This is how it works, right? People who don't know the Bible well mm-hmm. get influenced by someone who knows the Bible just good enough. Mm-hmm to convince people that they know the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yes. what happened here. So, so these teachings attract followers. He claimed that he claimed that he moved to Ohio because the word Ohio is a chiastic word because it's, uh, okay, 
Um, so this actually <laughs> okay. kind of speaks to a bigger problem, right? So when you have someone who starts to look at things like this, right? I'm mm -hmm. moving to Ohio because there's a O on each end of the word. Wow. That, that's an obsession, right? That's another mental problem. There's another mental disorder there. Um, but, you know, you may not catch that at first if you're not, you know, involved in this kind of stuff. So right. later in 1987, Lundgren was asked to leave the Kirtland house because he's talking crazy. Um, <laughs> even for the RLDS, they're like, eh, too far. Mm -hmm. um, his, his job as a tour guide was terminated. Um, wow. He says it's because they wouldn't let him do his interpretations. They said it's because you stole stuff from us. So, mm. you know, so now we have theft to add to the list of things. But let's, so let's talk about this chiastic interpretation and why it's flawed. So this is from a concept called chiasm in, in English, and it, it is a literary structure that's used in the Bible. So it's, it's something, it's a poetic structure, you know, like a haiku or a limerick. Mm -hmm. um, and it's used in common English. I'll give you an example, right? So there's a chiasm that's actually people use a lot. When the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's a mm -hmm. chiasm, right? It's chiastic. The words going and tough are repeated in reverse order in the second half of the sentence. Mm -hmm. right? So the structure is A, B, B, A. Another example uh, with this structure, Benjamin Franklin had an axiom and it said, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Mm -hmm. Right? Other chiasms are more complex uh, that, that can span entire poems, right? And they're not readily seen. So many passages in the Bible exhibit this type of structure. Jesus' words in Mark 2.27 are in the form of a, of a chiasm. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay. Using that ABBA form, the words Sabbath and man are repeated in reverse order. Uh, Matthew 23.12 is another example. But what Lundgren is saying here is that there are these mirror images. So when the going get tough, tough get going, those are mirror images of each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he's stating that everything in between those in this mirror portion is a lie, right? Like, and only mm. the middle verse is true. Okay. Mm. So we'll give you an example. So Joel, Joel 3, 17 through 21. Uh, so it says this. So this is how the verse goes. It says, then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Achaeus. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of the violence done to the people of Judah. In whose land they shed innocent blood, Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. Okay? So this one has an A, basically it's an A, B, C, X, CBA, right? So, so verse 17 and verse 21 state God dwells in Zion, right? Verse later in 17 and in 20 and 21, Jerusalem is holy. Jerusalem is going to be preserved, right? Verse, the later first is 17, later part says foreign invaders are banished, right? And verse 19 says foreign enemies are destroyed. See how see the mirror? Mm -hmm. So the, there's a one verse in the middle, verse 18, it says the blessings of the kingdom, right? It's talking about the blessings of the kingdom. In this case, only verse 18 is the truth, according mm. to what Lundgren is saying. And the rest is mm. a lie. Wow. So, so here's the problem with that. 
So there are many problems with it, um, with interpretation like this. But the biggest problem is that the Bible is lying in 66% of what it says. Why on earth would I follow a book that I know for a fact 66% of it is a lie? Mm. Well, we have to keep using it because that's how we're going to control people. So Mm -hmm. the red flag happening here is that Lundgren says he's the only one that can interpret this. He's the only one, right? So now we're back to isolation again. So he has learned isolation, and now he's going to push isolation on his followers, right? That's what he's going to do. So uh, 87, 88, Lundgren and his family move into a rented farmhouse. Okay. At that time, some followers started to move into the home. Those who moved wow. into the house, um, you know, there, there's a couple names here. I won't name all the names. Uh, there's about 30 people, right? Avery, now there's this one group, uh, hmm. Dennis and Cheryl Avery, who believe, who believe Lundgren but keep their own house. So some of his followers had known Lundgren in Missouri while others were drawn to Lundgren from the Kirtland Temple. Okay. Uh, so now what, what are we getting right back into? We're getting into social isolation, religious mm-hmm. isolation, interpretive wow. isolation. In cult, isolation means desolation, right? That's where this is headed. So there's, there's, there's what I like to call the break-even point, where if you don't get out before the break-even point, you're gonna. You're either going to die or be around when other people die. Okay, so that door is closing. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so while Lundgren was living at the farmhouse, he began to practice methods which were consistent with um, a guy named Robert Lifton has criteria for what people use for mind control. Mm. Cult members are forbidden to talk among to talk amongst themselves without him present. Doing wow. so, doing so was called the sin of murmuring. Right. Let's go all the way back to when we were talking about watching how kids react around their parents. Right. And the the dad not wanting them around other people. (laughs) Right. Because if they're not around other people, they can't tell the truth about what's going on. It's exactly what's happening here. Wow. That's what I'm saying. It's that not unusual to say that we can't talk amongst ourselves. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Lundgren would eavesdrop on these cult members. So he would listen to their conversations without them knowing. And then later he would call them out on what they said. Mm-hmm. And so now they believe he can read their minds. Right. Obviously this guy's got a superpower. So he's clearly supernatural. Right. So, so here we go. So on April 23rd, 1988, a neighbor tells Kirkland, Kirtland police officer uh, that she suspected that a cult was living at the farm near the house. Now, that's awesome because there's, there's a lot of neighbors, you know, especially in the country. It's not my business, not my pig, not my farm kind of attitude. Right. Wow. Right? This, this lady does this, but let's see why. So she does it um, that because Lundgren's son warned the neighbor's son that the earth would open up and demons would emerge on May 15th, 1988. Okay. okay so on April 28th, 1988, a former cult member... Uh, who was referred to the FBI, called the Kirtland police and reported a conspiracy by the cult to take over the Kirtland temple. Right? So Kirtland police chief did not believe the information was valid. Um, okay. But on May 2nd, confronted Lundgren at the Kirtland police station. When Lundgren left, he said that he had neutralized the situation, right? It's fixed. By warning Lundgren that there were complaints about gunfire on Lundgren's property, Lundgren went back to his followers and called off the temple takeover. <laughs> Mm. All right, Temple Takeover. Hey guys, Temple Takeover. We're not. That's all for today. That, yeah, that's off. You can, uh, but don't talk to each other. I don't know what you're gonna do, but 
don't talk to each other and no takeoff today. We're not, no temple taking. You know, not, you know not reminds me of, you know, them takeovers that kids do? Try to get you to go buy a burger at McDonald's. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it was just going to be a McTakeover. That's all it was. We were just going <sighs> to McTakeover the temple. <laughs> so he, wow. Mick call, he Mick called it off, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, apparently getting called out by authorities is a higher power. Because what he said was, he's like, God, God told me. God told me that we're not, we're, the McTakeover is done today. We're not, not they're out of burgers. Today. We're not doing it today. We're going to go back tomorrow. Mm -hmm. the, the McRib wow. is coming out next week. We're going to do it then. Right? Just wait. Just yeah, wait. Just hold on to it. So wow. Lundgren had claimed he had received a call from God to move to Kirtland, where he and his supporters would soon witness the second coming of Christ on May 3rd, which, by the way, happens to be Lundgren's birthday. So that's why they wanted to go ahead and hit the McTakeover. You know, three birds of one stone. We're going to celebrate Jesus coming back. We're going to celebrate the leader's birthday. And we're going to get a McRib at the at the McTakeover. It's going to be good. So, wow. Yeah. So he told his followers that it would be necessary to mm. uh, have to seize the temple by force and hold it for this momentous event. That's what was supposed to happen. The conspiracy involved burglarizing adjacent church homes and committing murder as part of the takeover. Right. Wow. And these people are okay. They, they're willing to do it. That door just closed. That door I was talking about where Once you, you talk about out. murder. Yeah. Yep. We wow. now reached, we have reached the break even point. And typically after the break even point, somebody dies. So we'll see what happens. So, so Lundgren called the, the land around the temple, the vineyards, which had to be redeemed or cleansed for him and his followers to take the temple. Kirtland police initiated surveillance of Lundgren's residence and of church owned properties. In September, 1988, a second informant came forward. The FBI investigated domestic terrorism investigation. Okay. That's so, a sign that something is not right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've always thought if the FBI ever came came to the church and was like, "We'd like to talk to your pastor about domestic terrorism," I'd probably go ahead and leave that church. Uh, we probably uh, we out. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I don't care how good the kids' program is or. Wow. Uh, yeah, we're we're out. But these people stayed. On October 10th, 1988, the same day that Lundgren was excommunicated from the RLDS church. <laughs> This is what happens, right? There mm -hmm. was a thunderstorm at the south end of Kirtland. Mm -hmm. When the sun emerged, a large rainbow appeared to the east. Lundgren told his followers that the rainbow signified the opening of the seven seals. <sighs> you know, yeah. I was waiting. I was wondering when Revelation was going to come up because it always wow. does. Right? It always shows up. Always. Every prophecy. Yep. Oh, yeah. We got to get prophecy in there. Every cult leader has used Revelation to get followers. And, and why? Well, because it gives no specific dates or times as to the things that are occurring. So cult leaders have this ability to use it to convince already wounded minds. Right? We talked about how these people are already convinced that they can't even talk to each other. So it's not a far stretch that for this guy to come up and say this rainbow, seven seals, I'm a major prophet, I'm the Messiah. Right? Oh you see, the problem here is it falls apart later when it doesn't mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. But right now, this is a good way to keep control of people. Fear is a very good motivator to keep people in control. I mean, you probably seen it in abusive relationships. This is how this is how a battered wife stays in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Right? Because they're convinced that it's worse if they leave. 
if you go out there, no, nobody's going to want you. Nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to take care of you. Yes, that mm-hmm. is not a good trait for a leader to have over church. Uh, mm. Yeah, so yeah, it's going to, yep, here we go. So Lundgren and his family begin to feel, it's <laughs> my favorite, they begin to feel a call to teach the Bible in the way he understood it. Not <laughs> a good thing. That's bad. Not not the way you were taught in seminary, not not the way it's been taught for four thousand years, the way because somehow for some reason the tour guide from Ohio is who God needs to completely restructure the Bible. Right? So and I'm not saying God doesn't speak to people, right? Clearly mm-hmm. I believe that, or I wouldn't be in the faith group that I'm in, right? I do believe God speaks to people, but yes. God never goes against what he's already written because God is perfect. God doesn't go against his own word. So this would be a problem, right? If he, if he did 60, if he did 66 books written by 40 different authors over the course of 4,000 years, but yet you in between tour guide trips in Ohio Mm -hmm. is supposed to completely revamp that entire work. That that's not how that works. It's the remix. It's it's definitely the remix chopped and screwed. So, so this group, not, not to knock chopping screw. I actually like. I'm from Texas. I know you're from you're from Texas. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have an issue with chopping screw music. So anybody out there, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry. Maybe it was a it was a bad example. I apologize. <laughs> I love chopping screw music. DJ Screw. I'm sorry. Okay. So, so, um, so the way he views it, he formed okay. his own splinter group. Shocker, uh, whose membership now exceeds over twenty. Or 30, mm-hmm. this group was largely composed of conservative RDS members who believed that God communicated through regular revelation. Right, it's something mm-hmm. we talked about from the earlier. That's something they brought with them. Although some members admitted that they claimed to have revelations even when they did not. Mm-hmm. The conser- the, this conservative group was also opposed to the more liberal rights for rem- for women in the church because you know we all know, you know, if you if you're a woman, you can't teach the word of God. I mean, come on. Be quiet. Sit down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are we doing here? Take uh, take all the seats. Even though I'd like to point out the first two people to preach the gospel were women, but it's fine. Yes. It's just scripture. I mean, who cares? We're but we're gonna do it the way he understood it, not the way it's written. So, okay. So, so women are bad now. Mm-hmm. So this contributed there. So because he was against this kind of liberal movement for women's rights in the church, it attracted these these people, right? Mm-hmm. So Lundgren's wife, Alice told followers that she had once had a revelation that she would meet an important leader of the RLDS church. Just so happens to be her husband, I guess. Uh, she later con- she later concluded that this alleged revelation referred to Lundgren. So mm. had to have been, right? I mean, he's the only prophet on earth. The only one. That's right. Lundgren begins to offer Bible study sessions at his house. Uh, there he would dominate the sessions and intimidate anyone who did not agree with his interpretation of scripture. I'll, I'll tell you right now, if, and I've sat in Bible studies where I've done, I've led the Bible study and people have said some crazy stuff, Miss crazy stuff. Why would they do that at church? <laughs> Weird. But I never, ever did I feel like I needed to pounce on or crush them or because I know this may come as a shock to you, but I don't know everything. I right. could I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Probably not in some of these things, but I could be wrong, right? And to me, that's the mark of a good leader. A good pastor will listen to what you have to say and go, you know what? I'll study it. I'll get back to you. I'll let you know what I think. Not right. this guy. 
you know, it's turn or burn. Either you don't, you agree with me or you're the devil. Right. That's yes. 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 Red flag. Red flag. Mm, run. Red flag. Run. Uh, Lundgren would later encourage others to in- intimidate those who disagreed with him as well, seeking to mm-hmm. convince his sect that he was God's last prophet. So basically what he would do is, is they would speak out and he wouldn't do the speaking anymore. There would be a group of people that would jump on someone. And if you've mm-hmm. ever been the person that is speaking the opposite of the group, it's mm-hmm. very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Be in a group of people that don't agree with you. It's so much easier to just go with the flow and go, yeah, yeah, no, I, I was wrong. I agree with you. Right. It's that mob yes. mentality. Yes. That is some churches. I know that for a fact. <laughs> some <laughs> that churches. No, that's a very nice yeah. way to. <laughs> some churches. Some churches. Yep. So, so all the themes are there. And now that door is closed, right? The isolation, the, the violence, claims of violence, the willingness to do violence. Lundgren yeah. claims he is God's last prophet, the final authority on earth. When a pastor states their interpretation is the only one that is correct and the need to violently oppose any opposition as the, the enemy to this, that is a clear sign of a cult leader. This is something that is usually hidden until notice he didn't lead with this. Mm-hmm. Right, they never lead with this. This is not something you're going to find out till he's he's felt like he's comfortable enough and he's isolated you enough where you're afraid to leave. That's when the crazy yes. talk comes out, and that's yes. why later, for those of us who watched Waco burn, it's easy mm. for us to go, well, "How did they not know?" Yes, they, probably, they didn't know till the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't know. Um, so I don't. When when people are sucked in by these guys, I don't blame. I don't blame them for what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they take part in it. I mean, there, there's a responsibility. You, sh- you, you know the difference between right and wrong. Um, but if you've been sucked in by this, you've been brainwashed, and you've been told that, you know, like like the Branch Davidians, David Crush was the only one that could have sex. And so he had sex with everybody, right? So everybody. Everybody, because he's the one, right? So for the females that were in that situation, I can – I don't, I mean, I've never, I've never lived through that. I never will live through that, but mm-hmm. I can understand how a person can be broken down to the point mm-hmm. where they think they're, they're doing something that pleases God. Right. It's so profound. It, it's, it's just, wow. I, I mean, I just can say, wow, you, you're knowing that it does not make any sense. However, mm-hmm. this person is saying this has been sanctioned by God. But he's only going to tell me, don't you go and pray and ask him to confirm it. Because he only told me, wow. Right, right. And that's why early on, that's, that's the whole reason this show exists, right? It's so that you can catch some of those things, because you're not going to catch this. At this point, it's over. Um, those things like past abuse or acting out in anger or being angry all the time, those kinds of things you need to look for and get away from that and distance yourself for that person turns into this because they will. It's a matter of time when a person, they had this, Lundgren had this in mind before he started this little breakaway church, right? He was going to do this. Right. Right. But he couldn't lead with the crazy, right? He had to lead with something that kind of sounded Christian and then break that away. You notice we've had no real Christian anything for the last 30 minutes, right? Because slowly they start to break away from that. And so Mm -hmm. this is what you get. So, mm-hmm. so by this time, uh, seven of Lundgren's 12 other followers had moved into the family home. So now we're at like 19 or 20 people in the house. 
-hmm. The remaining five were the members of Dennis Avery's family, right? Remember that family that was still living uh, away from them? Mm -hmm. So Lundgren felt that the Avery's were committing a sin by not living mm. in the house. Well, wow. <laughs> they're committing the sin of not being isolated is the problem. So they, they're still able to get outside information. Right. Mm -hmm. So wow, this is, this is yeah, this is clearly a direct threat to Lundgren, right? These people not living with him is a problem. So the Avery, so the Avery family father, Dennis eventually gets pressured into it. He sells his Missouri home and moves his family to Ohio. Wow. Then, yeah. That, Dennis Avery believed in Jeffrey completely and trusted him. Jeffrey, however, considered Dennis Avery to be weak. And when mm. Dennis was no longer useful to Jeffrey, right? Once the money spent, you're not really doing anything for me. You know, you were that guy that didn't want to move here. You're a pariah here, right? Once he's not useful anymore, he begins talking about Dennis behind his back. Jeffrey mm -hmm. often used Dennis as a scapegoat for their troubles, right? Like the reason the water pump ain't working is because Dennis didn't want to move in with us at first. He's a sinner, like that kind of stuff, right? So now we have a scapegoat. It's not my fault the bills aren't getting paid, even though I'm God's prophet. Uh, it's clearly this man's fault, right? It's not mm -hmm. me, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a typical thing in a red flag when a pastor deflects all the blame off of them, wants to blame everyone else. It's not my fault. Uh, that's true in any relationship, not just churches. <laughs> if all the person wants to do, if all they want to do is deflect, deny, 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 um, uh -huh. that may work in politics, but it's horrible in relationships. Especially after a divorce. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Blame the other person. That's right. It's, it's all their fault. So Jeffrey, so he often uses Dennis as a scapegoat for their troubles. And even though Dennis was one of the leading contributors, right? This guy's giving them more, giving more money than anybody. Dennis wow. Avery decided to set apart. So this, this is the sin he committed. He decided to set apart a relatively small amount of money for his family's use with a bank account to a predator. That is a move for independence and a predator can't have that. Can't have that at all. So that's going to cause problems. So, <laughs> Once again, Lundgren considered this a sin because Lundgren wanted all of his followers' money to be given exclusively to him. It's control. Wow. Right? So in time, Lundgren convinced his followers that they had to seize the temple, right? Remember we talked about that, from which mm -hmm. he had stolen about $40,000. Remember that whole, they, they fired me because they don't agree with my interpretation? No, $40,000 will get you fired. Right? Um, so he stole $40,000. And he stated he, he's going to kill anyone who stands in his way, right? Wow. Ch he changed his mind, however, and started telling his followers that they had to kill a family of five. Jesus told me that magically the number five came into my head. And, and if, there's a, if there's a family of five who's done some, you know, they're sinners, we need to kill them. So who do you think the sinning family is here? Ooh. The Avery's. Right? Wow. So he, set, he sets it up, right? As punishment for their disloyalty, he chooses the Averys. Now, he had that figured out beforehand. You know, God's given me a message about we need to kill a family of five as they're in the way and they're being disloyal. There was only one family of five in his group. At some point, he referred to the slaughter of the Avery family as pruning the vineyard. Remember, he used that statement earlier, too. Mm -hmm. You see, the cult leader must have total control to remain in power. And because the Averys were fighting that, with a little bank account or I want to live on my own property. They're evil, right? And that's what that's what they do. 
right? That's what cult leaders do. Once this type of control is established, somebody is going to die, right? Especially if someone tries to break away. And in this case, more than one person dies. But that that is that is a control issue, right? And it's it's very true of churches. It's true in relationships. I'm sure you deal with this a lot. Um, the the desire and the need to control is not healthy, Mm-mm. right? The desire and the need for a pastor to know everything about you is not healthy. No reason to know yeah, any, everything. No. Right. It's for control, right? Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, on April 10th, 1989, Lundgren ordered two of his followers to dig a pit in the barn in anticipation of burying Avery's bodies there. The expectation was that there could be five bodies buried in that pit. Lundgren told the rest of his followers, including the Avery's, that they were going to go on a wilderness trip. On April 17th, he rented a motel room and had dinner with all of his followers. He then called the group's men into his room. He questions each as to their purpose in the action, right? Basically, he's shoring up his support. Are you going to mm-hmm. do what I'm telling you to do? Sh- shockingly, Avery's not invited to this meeting mm. because they're going to kill Avery. <laughs> so, so that's what they do, right? So he, he makes sure he has their undivided support. Uh, according to the followers' admissions later, Lundgren later went inside the barn with a church member named Ron Luff, uh, luring Dennis Avery into a place where the other men awaited by asking him for help with equipment for the camping mm-hmm. trip. Luff attempted to render Avery unconscious with a stun gun, but due to a malfunction, the stun bullet struck Avery but failed to knock him out. Okay, Avery then was gagged and dragged into the place where Lundgren waited. He was shot twice uh, in the back, dying instantly. Uh, to mask the sound, they, they left a chainsaw running. Right? So they were like working on stuff so nobody could hear what was actually happening. The pastor. Right. The, the prophet, excuse me. Yeah, the prophet, right. Mm. Avery's wife, Cheryl, that her husband was told that her husband needed help. So she runs out there where she is then gagged and like her husband, but also has duct tape put over her eyes and dragged to Lundgren. She shot three times, uh, three times in the chest and once or twice in the chest and once in the abdomen. Uh, and her body was put next to her husband's. Then Avery's 15 year old daughter was shot twice in the head. The 13 year old Becky Avery was shot twice and left to die. Uh, and even six-year-old Karen Avery was shot in the chest and head. Murdered for the sin of independence. That's just horrific. But a, a cult leader, this is what you have to understand about people that once they get to this place, they have only one fear in life, and that's losing control. Losing right? control, yes. A cult leader will have to go to great lengths to keep his flock in line. And now that he's got all the men from every group, from every family, now they're all accomplices. So guess what? Ain't nobody going to say nothing. Because mm-hmm. now everybody's involved. Mm-hmm. And that's now he can use that as if you don't do this, I'm going to pin this whole thing on you. Right? So um, on April 18th, 1989, the day after the murders, officers coincidentally came to Lundgren's farm to talk to him. After the, mm-hmm. And it, was, it had nothing to do with the murders. They didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right? But here's another thing with, with uh, predators. They're paranoid. Right? Mm-hmm. After this encounter, Lundgren becomes massively paranoid about being caught, leaves Ohio with the rest of his cult, moving to Southwest Virginia. Oh, great place to go. Yep. I guess if you're going to hide, West Virginia is a good place to go. Uh, As months went by and nothing happened, Lundgren became disillusioned, and he and his family moved to California, leaving the rest of the cult members behind in West Virginia. You guys stay here in backwoods, West Virginia. We're going to move to Cali with all your money. Well, surprisingly... (sighs) Nine months after the killings, 
on January 3rd, a tip from an informant. And the informant was probably some dude that lost all his money mm -hmm. while these dudes went to go hang out in sunny California. And I'm stuck in West Virginia. Right. That, I mean, I'm not saying West Virginia is a bad place to live. What I'm saying is if I was going to live in a place in the beach of California or West Virginia were options, I would at least want a choice. Mm -hmm. Definitely wouldn't want to get left with, without money. So an anonymous tip, anonymous, led police back to the long abandoned farm where the five bodies are discovered. Right, The Lundgrens came, became fugitives, media attention increased, police began to track the cult members. The FBI joining in the manhunt, eventually Lundgrens abandoned followers were found back east. And surprisingly, they helped catch him and his family. 13 members of Lundgren's sect were arrested in early 1990, including Lundgren and his wife. You kill some, it's just like Texas. If you kill somebody in Texas, they're, they're going to kill you back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're not, it's not a game. It's not a game mm -hmm. you want to play in some of these states. Right. Uh, Jeffrey Lundgren was given the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Alice Lundgren received five life sentences, 140 wow. years to life <laughs> for conspiracy, complicity, and kidnapping. Their son, Damon, was sentenced to 120 years to life. Ronald Luff, the key planner and facilitator, was sentenced to 170 years. Daniel Kraft sentenced to 50 years. Five of the cult members were released in 2010 or early 2011 after 20 years of incarceration. Mm. Prosecutor confirmed that the original plea agreements meant that the five were to be eligible for release at the earliest possible time, but the Ohio State Parole Board repeatedly denied early requests for parole. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, until until they were done with 15 years mm. as where so a couple others served anywhere from 7 to 25 years Lundgren followers Catherine Johnson Patrick Dennis Patrick and Tanya Patrick were determined not to have been involved in the murders and each received a one-year sentence for obstruction uh, so everybody got it here which mm -hmm. you know and I'm not a I'm not a fan of the death penalty not because I don't believe that the death penalty is an acceptable way to punish but it's not, in my in mm -hmm. my opinion, it's not applied correctly in right. this country. Um, and it's usually applied based on how much money you have. I've, mm. I've told people this before. I challenge you to show me a millionaire who's received the death penalty in the last hundred years. Wow. Plenty of millionaires yeah. have killed people, but they've, yeah. they haven't gotten the death sentence. That's because they can buy their way out of it. So if you can wow. buy your way out of it, no one should get it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So True. But if, but if there was someone who I thought maybe could deserve the death penalty, It'd be this guy. So, wow, an entire family. Whoa. Yep. Took out a whole family because they wanted to be independent. So, um, but it's just, just like any abuser, right? Because predators are the same. It's just they're in different venues. Mm -hmm. If he couldn't have them, nobody could have them. Wow. Wow. That is an abusive, controlling relationship from the beginning. Wow. Yep. So he does get executed. So the Ohio Supreme Court set October 24, 2006 as his execution date, according to the state attorney general's office. Um, in August of 06, he exhausted his appeals. But in, on October 17, 2006, uh, there was a temporary delay in Lundgren's execution. Mm -hmm. You know why? Lundgren attempted to join a lawsuit with five other death row inmates. Here's the challenge. You ready? They challenged the state's death penalty law, claiming that because of their obesity, the lethal injection would be particularly painful and amount to cruel and unusual punishment. Okay. So you're telling me because you're fat, 
Wow. We shouldn't. This guy you. is a stone cold trip, as we say in Memphis. Man, you tripping. <laughs> Man, you tripping. Are you kidding me? Wait a minute. I'm fat. You can't kill me. Right. Let me live and continue to gain some weight and Man. let me die of a heart attack. That's wow. Right. Miss Chantel, I'm never getting put to death. That's true. Like Ooh. ever, ever, wow. I'm gonna be able to do whatever this I want. Guy is then, a classic case of <laughs> man psychosis <sighs> wrapped up with a bow. Mm. Wow. So, so the state attorney general appealed to the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit in Cincinnati. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals issued an order allowing the execution to go forward. Can you imagine being on that panel? All right. So we're we're here to to see if these guys should be executed. I'm sure they've got some really good reason. Like there was some evidence that's come forward or, you know, they, they have cancer and they're going to die anyway. Right. Wait a minute. Because you're fat. Wow. <laughs> no, y'all going to die. Nope. They're not doing that. Wow. Nope. See too many McTakeovers. That's what happens, man. That's too many McRibs. That's what happens when you do the McTakeover. And it's just scary that there are so many like him and the previous uh, persons that you discussed. It's so many of them right now to this day actively engaging people in their foolishness. And it's right. like, okay, may I have another? Okay, may I have mm -hmm. another? It's like, yeah. uh, no. Yeah. But because you are saying that you are a leader, and you know the Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go for everything that you're saying. Wow. And, and because I'm a man of God, you can't, you can't challenge me. <sighs> and that's wrong. So people challenge them. Especially if their excuse do. is wow. I'm a man of God. <laughs> happens all the time, sad to say. Yeah, it happens way more than it should. Uh, so on way October more 20, than it should. Way more, absolutely. Um, so on October 24, 2006, Jeffrey Lundgren is executed with his McTakeovers and his obese self. Uh, Ohio, like Texas, does not care about your size. They will just kill you, especially if you kill five people. Um, yeah, they don't care. They're going to kill you. Uh, so he's for executed no for, and sometimes for no reason. Right? There's a pretty good reason here. I guess if there, if there was a reason to use the death penalty, this would be one. But uh, once again, I can't. I just can't ascribe to it for, for other reasons. Um, mm -hmm. But he was executed in Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville in 2006. And that, my friends, is Jeffrey Lundgren, the McTakeover prophet. And, uh, wow. Yeah, wild ride, wild ride. Well, Never heard of the guy, but he <laughs> most definitely is not illustrious. He is infamous. And even that is taken with a grain of salt. Wow. But like I said, can't be too amazed after, you know, being a mental health professional for so long. And mm -hmm. like I said, having just a bird's eye view of the ministry uh, sometimes it's just so, I guess, fascinating mm -hmm. that people are so easily manipulated, Yeah, you know, and believe that I'm not important enough. I'm not special enough that. God cannot or will not talk to me. That is just yeah. amazing to me. Wow. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, so that, 
that's Jeffrey Lundgren, and uh, that that's this week's episode. Um, uh, but before we go, Miss Chantel, can you tell us a little bit about about what you do? And you know, if if anybody's struggling with something like this, or is going through, or has been through something like this, and maybe needs someone to talk to, can you just give us a little bit about that? Well, I'm Chantel Stokes. I'm currently in, of course, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I do have an office here in Memphis. Um, I mostly mostly deal with uh, consumers of mental illness um, and also persons who are suffering from any form of substance abuse. So that's kind of my specialty. Um, of course, you know, I was brought into the organization of EC Global to mix the two together, theology and therapy, which is my primary platform because there's just not enough of that. You know, I hear people all the time talking about church hurt. Mm-hmm. And I always say, wow, you know, people tell me that all the time. The church hurt me. The yeah. church did this. The church yeah. didn't help me. And, you know, that's just so concerning because, of course, you got that statement that, you know, the church is just a building, which is true. So someone inside of the building hurt you. So mm. um, people blend the two together. So. Um, I am always available on social media. I do have um, a page on Facebook, which is CDS Counseling, which is the name of my business, CDS Counseling LLC. Um, The website, of course, is www.cdscounseling.com. I'm available on email, cdscounseling at gmail.com. And my business number is 901. Five three one nine two eight four. So, I am in the business of helping people get well. I cannot fix you. I cannot fix anyone in your family who has done something to you, but I can help you gain a better understanding for yourself, which is how people can avoid getting into situations like Tony Alamo. <laughs> that was my favorite one, yeah. and Mister um, Jeffrey. You know, you have to know who you are and what you are. That way, if someone says, well, the Bible is telling you that the the sky is green and the grass is blue, you won't be like, okay, yes, mm. Pastor, I believe yeah, you. Definitely. So, you know, we, we have to have our own understanding. So I am under the belief that God loves everyone. No one is special that, you know, I'm only going to talk to these people today and mm-hmm. I'll talk to you maybe never. So. Um, It's very important to me that people get well. So I am a therapist. I do believe in the couch and I also do believe in God. So I want people to understand that the two can go together. Right. Well, that was a interesting trip down McTakeover road. Uh, Once again, (laughs) thanks thanks for being here and uh, and indulging a illustrious slash infamous uh, moron. Uh, in Mr. Lundgren. Um, And, you know, for those of you, this is your first time listening. Like we said earlier, please, you know, subscribe, like us. Uh, We're we're on Facebook, Pulpit Perps. Uh, You can email (laughs) us, uh, pulpitperps at gmail.com. Please like us, uh, subscribe, and uh, give us us those five stars and and give me your mom's lasagna recipe because I'm trying to prevent myself from getting the death penalty. So if you could do that, that'd be great. Um, Yeah, full of the lasagna. Yeah, you know, I'm going to blame it on lasagna. But that's our show, and uh, thanks for listening.